growing up in the 60s in a small flyover American town, it was easy to be disconnected from the riots that were happening across the country, especially in major population areas, you know, campuses. And as a kid, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old in the 70s, I was born in 59, so that 10 years there, that, you know, that my first 10 years was in the 60s. You almost felt like you'd watch the evening news and you would see, especially the Vietnam War, and you'd see that total continue to rise. And they would talk about almost every day how many people died. Some of you remember watching the evening news and just getting that information. It was kind of shocking in some ways. But it was also, especially from where I was in that small town, uh, 400 people in Arkansas on the western side. You were out in the middle of nowhere. It was almost like it was a different world, though. It was so disconnected. Until the first young man from our small town was killed in Vietnam. And that shutting down of our town almost, and, and almost that's not a lot. It was almost felt like it was shut down most of the time anyway, but it was so tiny. But it was huge. It was significant of how that felt in our town. And then another one, and then another. You know, all this happening. And many of those young men, especially one I remember specifically was part of my dad's baseball teams. And I remember my dad hated war. He was a battlefield medic in World War II. Many of you know the story I've shared. with many part of his story of him, you know, putting in body bags hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of young men in World War II on the battlefield. So when he began to see... And the reason he built his baseball field on our property there in Arkansas was because he said every time he looked down on that little valley in our property there where we end up building the baseball field, he saw young men's dead bodies because of his time so traumatic in World War II. And he wanted to build something where there was life. So he built a baseball field and began to, to do all the things that he did around these young men, but then now coming home with some of his boys, obviously knowing their parents. So it was real. And then, as many of you know, that in 2017, fall of 2017, our nephew, Army Specialist Alex Misseldine, was killed in Iraq, and it got real close to home. And it felt different. Memorial Day honors men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military. And as you looked at those numbers, pretty overwhelming when you cut. You can't even really soak it in. And I want to say here today, and I know we, we honor more those who are in the room on Veterans Day, and we try to do that consistently. But I want to thank you again today, who those who've put yourself in that position over time, and I want to thank you today for your service in that. Yeah. Thank you. Growing up in a little town, Memorial Day, which originally was called Decoration Day after the Civil War, and it was a time where you would come to the cemeteries and put flowers on the cemetery. Now, many of you lived in big cities, especially in the South. One of the things we did in the South 
was we had something called decoration. And it sounds strange just to say it like that, but we would literally have on, I think it's Memorial Weekend, each cemetery, and there were small ones all around our town, it was called Decoration Weekend. And Baker Cemetery would have theirs on Saturday, and Duckett Cemetery would have theirs on Sunday. And you came there, and it was just a, they'd have it almost like a picnic. And you would take this time to spend and remember and put flowers and stuff on the graves of those. It wasn't always military by no means. It, it evolved as to over time. How many of you have ever been to a decoration? You ever even heard of that? But it was called Decoration Day. That's what it was called. Then it eventually became Memorial Day. But a time to remember, specifically from the military standpoint, of the sacrifice. For some of you, you've lost loved ones, and it's not just one day a year. And I know from my own family, and there's no doubt that that's been every day, multiple times a day, you remember the sacrifice. So it's not just never done in a vacuum. There's families attached to that. It's never just one life. It's multiple lives of the sacrifice that was paid. As we continue in our series of Roots, in Roots, as I've given you the definition, the basic cause or source or origin of something to render firm, to fix, establish, to cause a person or a thing to be thoroughly grounded, to be stable. To remember where you came from. To remember what our roots are. The passage of Scripture we're going to read today out of Mark chapter 12 is a passage of Scripture that I think will help us. It may not seem like it initially, but I hope it will make sense to you. And it's a scripture, it's in the middle of, of other well-known series of conversations that Jesus is having. And what happens is, one of the teachers, someone asks Jesus, hey, I know we've got 600 or 700 laws, I know we've got all things, could you just narrow it down to a few? That would really help me. How many of you ever get this, kind of like in my phone updates, I don't need more options, I need less how many of you ever feel that way? Some, I mean, I know you're over 60 when you raise your hand, but, but it is that feel of going, I don't want more options. Show, just give me a few that I can lean into. So it's, the question is asked of Jesus in Mark chapter 12. He said, I just want, basically what he's saying, I just want the best ones that I can work on. Here it is. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, is love your neighbors yourself. Therefore, there is no commandment greater than these. And many of you know I did a, did a series last summer uh, basically in the room with nine other people. But anyway, I hope you were watching. Uh, anyway, uh, a series last summer called Greater. So we're not going to teach that today. But he said, no, none are greater than these. So that was the answer the guy wanted, right? That, that, that was great to get that information. 
What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength? And to love your neighbors yourself. Because one of the keys to roots, in my opinion, if it was we use the diagram or the illustration again to continue on is how do I love God? How do I stay connected? How do I fall more in love with Him? One way we do that, and of course we do it monthly here or try to, is to remember. You remember where you've come from. You remember your roots. You remember your origin. You remember. Our two passages of scriptures we've been using over the last few weeks is so then, just in Colossians two, so then, just as Jesus, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 10,000 reasons, right? (laughs) 10,000 reasons to give thanks and the gratitude. Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power that we talked about already today, with his, through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we'll hopefully talk more next week about even more how to live into the fullness, the spiritual man, and we'll bring that diagram back next week. But the spiritual man, how to live, your, the intention and understanding you've been rooted and established in love is to live into the fullness of everything that God has for you. Here these religious leaders are coming to ask this question. But the problem with these religious leaders so many times wasn't the fact that they wanted to learn and to live into what was said. They wanted to debate it. That was more what they wanted to do. They just wanted to take it and talk about it, not do it. And Jesus knows that they all know the Shema is what he's referring to. And we're going to read out of Deuteronomy here in just a second. But the Shema, which the Jewish people would have known, as soon as they heard it, they went to Deuteronomy. They knew it. They, they, they knew what the answer was. But they would rather debate it and add more laws onto it and add more things onto it and make it even more complicated. But what God was saying even in Deuteronomy, we'll read here in just a moment, Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to read quite a bit of Scripture here, so you'll hang, hopefully you'll hang in there with me on it. But what he's establishing with the Israel, Israelite people is a covenant. And a covenant can only be a covenant when it's rooted and established in love. And what a covenant is, and, and many of you who are some about to get married, and congratulations to Estevan and Kelly for their engagement. Yeah, there you go. Friday night. Uh, that's awesome. But they, they will, at some point, will make a public covenant. 
And what you're saying is, I'm willing to fulfill, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to lean into, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to commit to this enduring of all the things that may come and all the battles that may come and all the things and, and heartache and all those things. I am going to endure because I've committed and, and through this, this is established in love and it's just going to grow. This love's going to grow. As we walk this out, these battles, these heartaches, these things that we make over have to confront are going to build where we're headed, not destroy. Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, really, basically, as a collection of sermons, if you will, to the Israeli to the Israelites, just before they crossed the Jordan. But here's the deal that we, we've got to remember, and it's part of what I want to camp on today. Moses is preparing the second generation to enter Canaan. And by the way, he's preparing them to go in without him. So he's collecting, if you will, these, these sermons or these remembrances, if you will, to really try to remind this second generation that, hey, be heads up about this, but it's more than just heads up. And I, I want to, I'm going to read it for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and if you read along with me, if you want to look at your, in your Bible or electronic device um, or just read on the screen, it should be there. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, after they may fear and after them may fear the Lord our God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I gave you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that may, it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God, your God, of, of, of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord. Here we go again. Here's what Jesus is repeating here, right, in, in what we read in Mark earlier. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be in, on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That covers just about everything probably. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build. Underline that, that you did not build. I want to give you something that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him and only take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of people around you. For, and we know what happened there. But anyway, do not for the gods around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of, land, of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massas. 
Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on, on oath to your ancestors, trusting all of your in, uh, thrusting all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible in Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and keep, be kept alive as in the case today. And if we are careful to obey all these laws before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. It's <sighs> a lot of reading. The fear of Moses, if you will, that the multitude that he was about to send in had not experienced the miracle at the Red Sea or been at Mount Sinai. But they were about to enter a land, a new land, with significant dangers and as we read, significant temptations. The parents who would remember what it was like to leave Egypt, not getting to go with them. They're dead. And he's instructing that he's, what he's trying to do is give you, I don't know if you've ever done this, I, I, I've used to listen to my parents talk about my grandparents and talk about my parents and what my parents try to do to raise us and you kind of move it down the road and try to raise your kids a different I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here but you know it's the old you know we walked up you know you know we walked to school in the snow uphill both ways you know those kind of things it was all that kind of stuff but I would listen to my dad and man it was hard I mean he was eight years old and he was running a team of horses for the, he was the main source of income at eight years old, running a team of horses. And of course, his parents would be arrested today, obviously. But at that time in 1930, it was what it was because my grandpa was too sick. And so he's running this team of horses. And, and what I'm saying is he didn't want that for us. I mean, what, and, and, and obviously, uh, if, if you know me, you've told, I've told this story many times about my dad. Really, we would call today PTSD and what he went through all those years after I was, even after I was born. And, but the reality, though, is we sometimes forget the sacrifice that it took and what other people had to do. We're built off other people's shoulders. And what happens is, and we see it throughout Scripture, We see it culturally because we didn't have to pay a price. We don't understand the price. I said to you last week, because the scripture we read earlier out of Colossians, it says to be overflowing with thankfulness. And I asked the question, if you had to gauge today and you had other people speak into it, and it was 0 to 10, and 10 being, I'm full of this, and 
zero being I don't have any, where would you land on if you've got a spirit of entitlement or thankfulness? Would you be way higher on entitlement and almost empty on thankfulness? Would it be 50-50? That was the concern. To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. There are times, my awesome wife, which she is, doesn't like the way I want to say things. I have my mind goes to places going, well, you didn't have anything to do with that. How how are you benefiting from that? And uh, she goes, why does your mind go there? Why do you think about, because somebody will ask me something, I go, well, how are you getting benefit from that? You did nothing to earn it. How did you end up with that? And she goes, why does your mind go there? Because Scripture does. That's why, Jan. Just went, no, I just uh, I'm just following what God does. That's what I'm doing. But my mind does go there sometimes. How are you getting benefit from what I've done or what somebody else has done? That's okay. We know it is. But there are times when you sense there's an entitlement that it kind of goes, whoa, wait a second, time out. I am going to ask the question here. When we see those numbers we saw on the screen earlier, it just blows my mind. I don't even think we can get our minds around it, those numbers. And and I think the day and age of that we live in today, it is easy because we're so inundated with information of bad things happening. I mean, how many of you know two mass shootings this week and you may see the headline and you don't even go look at the news or you don't even, because it's just so regular in some ways, if you will, you just kind of move on. I used to say that back in the in, in, in early 2000s, now we have, we have way more information than we did then. You look at the information you eat your Fruit Loops and you just move on. <laughs> Part of it is we can't take on all that. Our minds are not capable of ingesting all that. Matter of fact, they shouldn't be trying to ingest all that. Matter of fact, I think we've got way too much information as part of the challenges many of us have, even in our own minds and hearts. But on the flip side of that, we can't allow that to be an excuse not to understand what we should be grateful for and what we should remember. But again, he says, I'm bringing you into this land of abundance, a prepared land. But do not forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt. But I know what Moses is concerned about is those that second generation go, but I didn't come out of Egypt. I didn't experience that. I don't know what that was like. You know, sometimes you just have to trust and lean into somebody else's experience and not have to experience it on your own. My dad used to say this. My dad was a wise man, not educated in the world's mind, but my dad was a wise man. He would say this, you're not going to live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself learn from other people. You're not going to live long enough 
So quit trying to make every mistake yourself. Learn from other people. But it's easy to go, well, I know better. I'm a baby boomer. I know how that feels. <laughs> we thought we knew better than that greatest generation, didn't we? And we pay a price for that. Nothing against boomers. I is one. But often prosperity afflicts the next generation more than the generation that earned it. The generation that paid the price for it. And he flips the, goes, he goes on, there's a lot to preach here, man, alive. He said, but I command you today, this shall be in your heart. As we talk today about roots, one of the biggest challenges is, is how do we love God with all of our heart? Caleb, if you go back and look, Caleb gets to go in, right? Caleb, Caleb and Joshua, Joshua leads them in, but Caleb gets to go in. He was two of the 12 spies. He, he gets to go into the promised land, one of the only two, really, that gets to do it, right? He gets to go into the promised land. But if you go back and read Scripture, and I'm not going to take the time today, but one of the things they say about Caleb and Joshua, but Caleb, is he loved God wholeheartedly. Why did he get to go into the promised land? Because he loved God wholeheartedly. What that means is, with to the depths of his soul, with his inner being, with everything about him, you want to know, we've talked about this again a few weeks ago, if you want to know to, how to keep on this line here and continue on, is to love God wholeheartedly, not just straddling the fence, not just trying to say how, far, how much can I get by with as far as the line. No, love God wholeheartedly. And so Moses is reminding them, you have, this has to be deeper than a head knowledge. This just can't be, oh, I get it now. It's not just something I can go debate everybody else on. No, this literally has to be who you are. Because as the scriptures we've used for rooted is in your inner being. Same thing as basically wholeheartedly. This has to be the core of how you make decisions. But here comes the problem. And it's from, I'm going to read a little bit here. Normally I don't do this. But I'm going to read a little bit here from a sermon that was given about three, four years ago by Erwin McManus in a sermon called Battle Ready. And I've, it's, it's a, like a 60-minute message, 50-something minute message, which is, which is awesome. Many of you have heard it. And it's really, he's preaching it out of Judges on this particular case, but I think it is lined straight up of where we are today. And I'm going to read a little bit of it as part of the reminder, as we are rooted and established in love, there are some things sometimes, again, I think we've got to just step back and remember, because it's easy to live off other people's sacrifice. It's easy to live off somebody else's faith. 
called secondhand faith. Secondhand faith is I'll let, I'll let my wife or my pastor, my pastor, if my pastor's enough in tune with God, he'll let me know if God spoke something I need to know. Or my wife will tell me what I need to know because she's really connected to God or my husband's really connected to God or my kids are really connected to God. I'm just going to live this secondhand because in secondhand, I don't really have to deal with all that. And if we're not careful, the second generation and the third generation will kind of just go, well, I'm glad you guys sacrificed. And I bet you guys, if, as long as you're alive, you'll probably sacrifice again for this because that's just kind of your mode anyway. So you'll do that. So I don't have to until, well, guess someday maybe you're going, then I may have to step up. But hopefully I'm not so entangled with other idols that I'm so far removed from where the plumb line is, which is Jesus and loving him wholeheartedly, that I forget how to get back there. It's the reason why it's so dangerous. And I know from my own life, I'm just thankful that I did wander for 10 years and made it back. But that is not guaranteed. That's the reason why I used to do youth ministry. I, I was selective on when I shared my testimony. Because there are times I think people take what you say. Oh, yeah, you came back to the Lord at 26. I got plenty of time. I was not guaranteed of anything. As a matter of fact, I think that night that I gave my life to the Lord, that honestly, and you can say, how do you know that, Kurt? I don't. But I think it was my last chance. That window of time was my last chance. How do you get that? Well, sometimes I read Scripture and it says the axe is at the root. God's about to go, no, we're done with that one. I don't know that. I don't know all that. And don't read way more into that than you need to. All I know is I didn't have to find out, right? That part I didn't have to do. I didn't have to find out the hard way. But I want to read this. I don't take just a couple of minutes. But just listen and as you listen to what I'm about to read here, and again, it's just excerpts. It's not the whole thing. Remember what I'm reading, is, and even what Deuteronomy is, it's rooted and established in love. But here's McManus's words. God knew a new generation would be born, and if they were not careful, they would not be battle-ready. That they would have memories of times that God was with them, but they would not know times when God was with them. They would know, they would have memories of God coming through and intervening in a miraculous way, powerful way, but they would not know that encounter of God intervening on their behalf in an undeniable, miraculous way. They would have the stories of Moses. They would have the stories of Joshua, but they would not have their own stories of God's faithfulness in their lives. God wants to teach us how to fight so generations from now will know that the church was alive and well, filled with faith and courage, that nothing but nothing could step, uh, stop them from fulfilling God's intentions for them. But if you don't know how to face any battles, you don't know how to learn how, you don't know how to learn to trust God. 
The journey with Jesus is not a journey where he moves the obstacles, but where he raises the bar of your life and you rise above the obstacles. That trust in God is one generation away from disappearing. What the generation before you did will not strengthen your faith the way what your generation does. You have to step up into the challenges in front of you. You have to decide this is your fight. There has to come a day when you get out of the village that's been protected by those on the front line and you pick up your bow and you pick up your arrow and you pick up your sword and you pick up your weapon and you get in the fight of making the world a better place. McManus goes on to point this out. The reward of winning a great battle, some of you know this, is a greater battle. It's not rest. It's not retirement. The reward for winning a great battle is a greater battle. Why? The reward of winning a great battle is not peace and rest. The reward of a great battle is that now you know how, how strong you really are, how powerful God is, and how much he can accomplish. You no longer fear what you used to fear because you took care of that yesterday. This generation, in order for us to do what we need to do in our world today, we've got to lean into it. We can't run from the issues of today. We need to step into the issues of today. But we can't do it just by few who knew how to walk in faith. We all need to know how to walk in faith. That's what Moses was concerned about, that we wouldn't remember. We would no longer be willing to step into the battle. But I love this statement. There comes a point where you got to pick up your bow and you got to pick up your arrow, and you got to pick up your spear, and you've got to step into the battle. And that was a tremendous fear that Moses had. That there would be this sense of entitlement and not remembering. The very thing we talk about here with the, with the ladder, when it goes from moving one place to the other, when God begins to stretch you, and, 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 and in that, where God's stretching you on this journey, and he's going, will you trust me? Will you step into this? This is a battle. Sure it is. And I, and I heard this saying recently, everything you want in life is on the other side of a battle. Everything you want in life is on the other side of hard. Everything you really want in life that God wants for you very well may be on the other side of fear. But what happens is we get stuck. The very thing that you, you want God to do for you may be way up here, right? You're waiting for somebody else to fight the battle for you. And Moses is saying, sure, other people have gone before you and fought the battle. Sure they have, and you stand on their shoulders. But you've got to fight too. You've got to know how to fight. You've got to know how to step into the battle. You've got to figure out how to deal with entitlement. I mean, we, we do believe in America. You come to church, the air conditioner should be working at 100 and something degrees outside, right? We're entitled to that. We tithe here. We get, well, maybe I don't tithe, but, but I, I show up here. But I give here, and, I, and, I, and I'm a part of this community, and I'm, I, th that air conditioner should be working. And we try to make that happen. 
But there are places around the world it's hotter than this that that never crosses their mind. Never even kind of. They're just glad to gather. Again, I'm not slamming any of us. I want the air conditioner working. Let's be thankful for air conditioning. Thankful we were in a country where we were able to drive on good roads and, and not having to go through checkpoints. We can walk in here today, and of course, I know situations have happened where bad things have happened in church. I get that. But for the most part, we can come to church every Sunday at peace. Built on somebody's shoulders. There's a video I watched not too long ago. I, I don't know if anybody's ever uh, watched the show Heartland. It's Canadian. I love that show, just so you know, because I just like looking at the scenery of nothing else. But I heard a song on there, and it's from Canada, uh, the CBC. It was done by the Ennis Sisters, and it just really was sobering to me. And it was done on D-Day on Juno Beach, 2019. And normally I don't show things necessarily like this, but I want to, as we begin to close our service, I want to show this video as we are here on Memorial Day. <laughs> 